Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Frankly, what we need is more border patrol agents securing America's border, not IRS agents going after hardworking families in America. The real reason is passing this bill is to protect wealthy tax cheats like the former president. What's next? A rule requiring we all wear tinfoil hats? Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Too little, too late is right. Uh, This is an administration who knew when they were coming in that they had a crisis on the border. This is an issue that has disrupted and vexed Washington presidents going back decades. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The three amigos meets on the border and the economy. Will it make a difference, though? Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as President Biden wraps the summit in Mexico City. We'll talk deliverables with Lester Munson of BGR Group, former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, as we prepare for the trilateral news conference to begin. Get your questions handy. And as new rules are passed by Republicans in the House, Speaker McCarthy makes good on a promise to cut funding for the IRS even if it means ballooning the deficit. We'll have more on that move with Bloomberg's Laura Davison. And as classified documents are found at President Biden's old office, we'll have our signature panel weigh in on this and all of our stories for the full hour. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. We're waiting on President Biden and the leaders of Canada and Mexico here to emerge from the North American Leaders Summit. The staging is now set here for a trilateral news conference that'll bring this whole thing to a close. Biden... Mexico President Lopez Obrador and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. We're looking at three podia, two sets of flags set before a massive group of reporters at the National Palace in Mexico City. When it begins, of course, we'll bring it to you live. President Biden has been in Mexico City for two days now. He met yesterday with President Lopez Obrador and today with Prime Minister Trudeau. Ahead of the summit, Biden spoke to reporters. They had a little bilateral meeting. They let the pool in here, talked about the issues on the agenda. Here he is. Together, uh, I think we're achieving some really significant things. Today, we're going to discuss how we can try to help stabilize uh, Haiti, how we can deal with uh, uh, migration, and and at the same time, bolster our national security. Now, of course, uh, following the bilateral, they went on to the actual summit. There's been many, many hours of talks. So the fact that they're late, uh, you know, I guess is pretty significant because they've been into some pretty heavy issues here. Justin Trudeau spoke to reporters as well about the stakes of the summit. Here he is. North America is the largest free trading bloc in the world, larger even than the European Union. Uh, We have a tremendous amount uh, to contribute to the world uh, in uh, goods and services, but also in technologies and solutions that the world really needs. Be interesting to hear the questions. Typically, the way this works uh, for uh, for a, a news conference with more than one uh, foreign leader, in this case, we've got three, is they'll each take two questions. So we could have, once this starts, a conversation, a half hour, the better part of an hour. And we'll be, of course, bringing you the important stuff here, at least when we hear from President Biden, when they get to these questions, they'll likely make 
some opening remarks and so forth. But we want to talk about this before it begins with Lester Munson. I'm glad to say is with us, principal at government relations firm BGR Group, former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and no stranger to moments like these. Lester, thank you for being here. There's been a lot of talk, especially following President Biden's trip to El Paso, uh, about immigration reform. And this new Republican-led House has been advancing the ball on that, at least in terms of uh, the zeitgeist over the last week or so since uh, since they've been in the chamber here. Uh, how much does President Biden need to speak to progress on that issue today? Well, I think he needs to look like he is taking action and he is dealing with this problem. This is the issue he polls the lowest on uh, in, in issue-oriented polls. Uh, folks don't think he's doing a great job with the situation at the border. So, you know, I suppose at a political level, political level, kudos to President Biden and his team for exploiting the kind of the chaos with congressional Republicans to kind of make some news on this issue. I think Congress, Congress, uh, you know, is going to dive into the details on what these policies are going to be about these changes and things like that. They're going to take a hard look at commitments made uh, in Mexico during the summit. Mm-hmm. And and then and so we'll get like kind of a like a knock on effect later. But right now, good for him, good for the president for at least looking like he is diving on an issue that's actually been pretty tough for him to take on. You know how these things go, uh, Lester. Typically, the agreements are made. The commitments are made before the summit. You get a lot of uh, news coverage and people kind of know what to expect when when that final statement comes out. In, in this case, uh, there were some eyebrows raised when when there was no commitment on fentanyl specifically, which is something we hear about as a specific issue from Republicans in Washington a lot. Is that a loss or are we going to hear something new today? Yeah, I think the fentanyl issue, part of part of the border control issue, part of this broader issue of the war on drugs, uh, which is which has been a main component of our dealings with Latin America and AMLO. You know, president of Mexico yesterday was chastising Biden for. Yeah for the U.S. not investing in Latin America. We've had a the pretty disdain, tough focus on, yeah, well, tough fo- well, our focus for aid in Latin America has been on the war on drugs in large measure. Uh, the stuff coming out of Colombia and, and neighboring countries has been a real concern of the United States. So, so Joe Biden, President Biden's got to find a way to deal with this U.S. national interest of drugs coming across the border. Now it's fentanyl. That's the big concern. And also find a way to open up to regional leaders, some of whom are moving off to the left and it's going to be a little hard to corral them. But he yeah. needs to find a way to deal with them in a constructive way. That's that's the best way to deal with the China threat. We need ally shoring, near shoring, stuff like that. We need mm-hmm. Mexico's collaboration on that. So this is a lot. This is a tough, this is a tough nut for the president. Well, you know, there were. I, I assume if there's some good news for him here, uh, beyond anything we've discussed already, it's semiconductors uh, to get the three leaders together on this and maybe have some some onshoring sharing. If I could, if you know, imagine a world in which we build a foundry in Arizona and there's a parts plant on the other side of the border. That's the kind of cooperation where we actually would be better competing with China, right? That's right. And I think it's good news for the U.S. We've been stuck in this anti-free trade uh, ethos for several years now in both parties, frankly. Uh, And if we can use this as a way to kind of open up a little bit, at least to other to countries that are nearby and countries that are ideologically aligned with us, 
that's good. I would like to see us be you know, kind of break out of the Fortress America thinking and start thinking about what can we do constructively with Mexico and with Canada and other countries in the hemisphere that, uh, you know, we should be working more closely with. There are typically, uh, you know, well, they have a family photo at the end of summits like these. And, that you know, that's that's why we call them photo ops. Is this going to go down as such or actually a productive conversation today, Lester? Uh, I think it's going to be a productive conversation. Uh, this, you know, um, uh, someone was saying earlier, you know, this, I think it was Justin Trudeau. Uh, this is the biggest trading block in the world, the biggest free trading block in the world. That's yeah. true. We have a lot in common. Uh, there is some dynamism in Mexico. There's, uh, you know, there's, of course, the biggest market in the world in the United States. We have a lot. We do have a lot of assets. We're going to argue about a lot of stuff. There's no doubt. Our interests don't totally align. But at the end of the day, the prosperity, the prosperity is so large and so pervasive across the continent and even further south that, uh, that I think they can't help but make some progress here. What does China, what does Beijing think of this confab here today? Well, you know, they're, they're probably a little more focused on their own problems at home. Their economy is really struggling. They're, uh, they're going from zero COVID to a hundred COVID in about five seconds, uh, is, is kind of got the world a little bit rattled. And so I think, I think Xi Jinping looks across the Pacific, sees Joe Biden doing, you know, fairly routine, but important diplomacy. And he's like, right. gosh, I wish I could be doing that. I bet. And that's something. Lester, thanks for coming in. Lester Munson, uh, be curious to hear your thoughts on what we do learn today from BGR Group. Spent some time as staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and has certainly been exposed uh, to these topics for a lot of years. As we assemble our panel, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here. Bloomberg Politics contributors reminding if you're just joining us, we're going to have this news conference trilateral Biden Trudeau Lopez Obrador as soon as it begins from Mexico City. We talked about a number of these issues with the panel uh, yesterday, Jeannie, is that lack of a commitment on fentanyl a problem for Joe Biden? Does he need to follow up on that if we don't hear about one today? He absolutely does. And it is a big problem for the United States. It's one we've long tried to address with Mexico. But, you know, to my mind, one issue that he really is there to address and is going to be important to getting the fentanyl and the other issues addressed is what the president of Mexico keeps talking about. And that's respect. You know, they feel long neglected by the United States. They 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 pointedly stayed away from the summit on democracy because they thought the agenda was wrong. Countries were excluded that shouldn't have been. And this has been a long term problem with Mexico. They feel we come to them with something, and that's the only reason we ever sort of go to them. So I think the issue of respect is critical to addressing all these other issues, everything from migration to the drug issue to the Mm -hmm. issues of trade, which are very real. I mean, look at the issue of corn. So, you know, those have to be addressed. But from the Mexican perspective, that respect has got to come first. Rick, the president rolled out his, uh, his updated immigration policy last week. We discussed it yesterday. He's carried that to Mexico now following his visit to El Paso. Is it not more important what what AMLO, what Lopez Obrador says about immigration today than Joe Biden himself? Uh, not really. I mean, the, the issue is on our side of the border. Right. And so uh, but doesn't his cooperation, which works so well for Donald Trump, play into the perception that we're getting something done here? Yeah, but I think that was a perception, right? We still had a pretty porous border, even though they had a a better relationship, if you want to say that. And Mm -hmm. look, I mean, this is a tough love relationship. I mean, like, I appreciate 
AMLO's need for respect and all that, and he's certainly got some cards to play. Yeah. But this is this is like a, a, a government run by narco traffickers. Uh, you know, if you look at the if you look at the way the government corruption has expanded over the years, it's you know you can't trust the police, you can't trust the legislators. You, I mean, like it's a very difficult regime to do business with. Wow. And if they want money, how do they even account for it? They can't account for their own money. And so uh, before you open up a checkbook and start solving problems in Mexico, you've got to have them come toward us and say, yes, we're going to be a good partner. They get a lot of benefit from trade with with us. And 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 the states along the border have very interesting relationships with the state Mexican states along their border. And so I'd I'd try to replicate that. I would elevate the Sonora governments and things like that so that you're not just dependent upon Mexico City. Interesting how, Rick? What do you mean? Well, uh, when you look at, like, for instance, what the border uh, of Arizona gets out of trade with the Sonora uh, uh, state, which is on their border, it's mm-hmm. $17 billion a year. It's a major trading partner, one state. You look at the amount of truck traffic, you look at the manufacturing yeah. facilities. As you pointed out, there is a great potential for really nice jobs to be developed on the border in Mm -hmm. order to support the kind of development that's going on in the chip business there. It's perfectly positioned. Those discussions in Arizona are being done with the governor of Sonora, not with AMLO and his buddies down in the the capital. So does that need to be a more regional approach then, Jeannie? Because I, if, if one of these three leaders came out and articulated a situation as Rick Davis just did, this would be a win. This news conference would be a win. But Rick isn't in Mexico City today. No, Rick is not there. They need to get him down there. Um, you know, the reality is um, it, it would be a win, but it's not going to happen because, of Joe, of course, Joe Biden, none of these three are positioned to do that. And we have seen Mexico try just before this visit to give some gifts, quote unquote, to the U.S. One was the, you know, the capture of El Chapo's son, That's which right. all of the Mexican press described as a present to Joe Biden. Now, <laughs> you know, that sounds, you know, horrific and, and the violence that ensued after after that capture 29 people dead yeah i mean it's remarkable and so you know they have been trying to to a certain extent to play ball but the reality is the united states and joe biden in particular knows that they have to firm up these relationships yeah with the regional states certainly with the mayors the states that's important but it's also important with the federal government if for nothing else because we can't control this migration immigration problem without their cooperation and we just saw that with the policy announced by the biden administration the other day you wonder how different some of the questions are going to be from the American reporters uh, versus those from Mexico and from Canada. Everyone's coming in here with a slightly different interest uh, as we wait for these leaders to emerge. Um, meanwhile, in Washington, there's been a lot of talk about immigration here, particularly since Republicans have figured things out in the House and they're actually in front of cameras and microphones calling out Joe Biden repeatedly. Listen to Steve Scalise today. And of course, this plays into domestic politics with the IRS and our other stories that we're following with these new rules in the House. But here's the majority leader speaking to reporters earlier today. Frankly, what we need is more border patrol agents securing America's border, not IRS agents going after hardworking families in America. We're going to get into this story in a little bit more as as they move legislation essentially to, to take back the funding from the uh, Inflation Reduction Act to fund the IRS. But it all points back to the border, Rick. Every time you hear an argument, why are we funding Ukraine when more people are crossing our border here in the United States? It's just, it's a refrain that this president cannot escape. Yeah, it's a, it's a total uh, rigged uh, debate because when you have a trillion seven budget, 
Uh, you ought to be able to afford both. And, and, and that's one huh. thing that Biden is trying to change his own administration's policy on. You've noticed that the new border plan that he has is increasing the number of border agents, is throwing money uh, into the law enforcement side of the, the border security. And, 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 and it's come with a price. A lot of his uh, constituents who uh, value the human rights aspect of this debate uh, are angry with him because it looks like he's just expanding the Trump border policy, and in many ways he is, uh, and and yet that's what you got to do to get control of the situation. If you have a crisis, you have to throw resources at it. So to some degree, Scalise is getting an answer in advance of his criticism, which is huh. if Biden were responding to him, which he will never do, he would say, "I have done exactly what you are suggesting I do." And that's something. Well, listen, as we're waiting for the three amigos to emerge here, let's talk a little bit more about. Uh, this policy that that was one of the big stories we woke up to following the passage of the rules and then this bill, like I said, to take back uh, billions of dollars in funding for the IRS. You just heard uh, Steve Scalise talking about it. Uh, this, by the way, passed what two twenty one two ten party line vote, and this goes back again to the the IRA the. Uh, Inflation Reduction Act, $80 billion. And we heard this during the campaign, right? 87,000 armed IRS agents were going to fan out across the country and knock people's doors down. Uh, They actually haven't been hired, and most of them won't even be agents like that. There'll be a lot of different IT people involved and a lot of other stuff here. It became kind of a political meme, if you will. Uh, Don Beyer, the congressman Democrat from Virginia, talked about this on the floor yesterday. The bill is going to add $114 billion to the deficit, according to the CBO. And why? My Republican friends want us to believe that a horde of 87,000 armed federal agents are ready to kick in your doors for tax enforcement. This is a total nonsense, a fantasy, a fabrication that has been fact-checked over and over again and always found false. The real reason this passing this bill is to protect wealthy tax cheats like the former president from having their tax returns scrutinized. And there it is with the Donald Trump reference. Jeannie, the fact of the matter is this wouldn't get through the Senate. And if it did, Joe Biden would veto it. Is this the beginning of two years of messaging from the new Republican majority in the House? You took the words right out of my mouth. Messaging <laughs> bill, because, of course, yeah. to your point, has little chance of passing the Senate or being signed, certainly by the president. You know, it is full of misleading claims, um, including, as you mentioned, the idea that these agents would be armed. The reality is this is something that Republicans wanted to lead off with as a way to say this is where our focus is. But the fact is the IRS and, and and anybody who's dealt with it understands this, is very much in need of funding to do the basic job it is supposed to do. And it needs that money, and that was why that money was allotted. Now, certainly, Congress has a right to oversight. There's no question about that. Yeah. But the idea it was going to be used in the way they were suggesting is is utterly without you know merit. And, of course, they're adding to the deficit by if this was to go into fruition, which huh. it won't as well. Yeah, that's a lot. $114 billion, assuming that is correct, uh, Rick, that would be added to the deficit. Is is this a case of good politics, bad policy? Well, I do think it's entertaining to hear, oh, these aren't going to be people going after your tax dollars, but we're going to get $100 billion out of their employment. (laughs) Well, where did that come from? (laughs) I mean, you know, it's a little bit of a, uh, you know, rigged argument. So. 
Look, at the end of the day, this is not going to change uh, the tax bill. This is not going to change the legislation. And, and, but this is going to be something that the Republicans in a year, when they start running for re-election in the House, are going to go out and say, the first thing we did was try to get these IRS, IRS agents yeah, off your back. that plays well. Yep. And he promised he would do it, so here we are. Uh, listen to, by the way, the, the back and forth over the rules as well. This isn't technically... Uh, this was a piece of legislation separate from the rules that, that were passed. But the idea here uh, that we're going to cut spending to try to somehow manage this debt limit issue, it's already a problem. Richie Neal, the former chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, talked about this uh, earlier today, the idea that Republicans have found religion on the issue of deficits. Here he is. They voted for the CARES Act. <laughs> They voted for more money for national defense spending. Some of them voted for the infrastructure bill. And then they also voted for $5 trillion worth of tax cuts in 201, 203, and 2017. It comes out to about $4.7 trillion of tax cuts. And they, it, gets, it allows them, in this instance, after what they've done, to sort of set the fire and then call the fire department set the fire and call the fire department genie is, is that close to the truth it's a great analogy to describe the situation because of course during the trump era and he went right back to 2001 so you can even go earlier yeah right. you know spending the amount of it supported and pushed by republicans which added to the debt and the deficit was enormous and you know this this idea that they have found this religion um is utterly uh, you know stunning and he's absolutely right so there's no question that we need to talk about the deficit we need to have a concerted conversation but this is um you know not the way it's going to be done and there's really very little that's going to move forward in the next two years that will address it it could though if we're chopping the budget by whatever it is here 140 billion 130 billion or something like that on an annual level uh rick that's not going to pass with a lot of moderates and it could lead to a shutdown or a default uh, yeah, hard to tell whether or not you're going to have a shutdown. I mean, we're well away from that. But the default is a different issue. And it's actually a, a, a more uh, uh, potentially problematic uh, That's uh, for difference sure. because of the faith and credit of the United States would be at risk and, and not just the federal government spending. I, I do think we, we do have a moment here to reset the clock. Totally agree with everything that's been said that we haven't had a deficit hawk in this party for a long time. Mm -hmm. That being said, it is a good time to start having a conversation about government spending because it is out of control. There aren't the controls. Now we've got, you know, a, a big push to get uh, earmarks back in. I was actually applauding huh. some of the efforts by the Freedom Caucus to ban earmarks in the House of Representatives. Yeah. These are good initiatives just because they're with some bad people doesn't make them bad initiatives. And so let's just take this as a good thing that right now there are people looking in this direction and we have to have this conversation we do not have our fiscal house in order uh, both on the spending side and the raising side and we've got to come to some agreements with that and at least now we have some of that conversation starting collaborate for a greener future at the bloomberg green festival a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers doers and innovators leading the way from design and culture to technology science and entertainment hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions july 10th through 13th in seattle title sponsor amazon official airline alaska airlines get 20 percent off using promo code radio 20 at bloomberglive.com slash green festival 
I want to add uh, Laura Davison's voice to this conversation. Bloomberg Congress and tax reporter jumping in the pool with us here as we try to figure all this out. Laura, thanks for coming back. The IRS story is one that you were covering specifically here. Is it actually true that it would add that much to the deficit? And and I want to get to these jobs. I understand these 87,000 people have not been hired. A lot of them, though, were simply to fill jobs opening through attrition. What's the real story? Yeah, so true, the, the, the deficit number, that's the, the estimate from the nonpartisan CBO. So uh, okay, I it. trust them and their numbers. Uh, but as the jobs, that's one uh, that's a little bit trickier uh, to parse here. And that's why it's been able to be manipulated so much uh, kind of in this discussion about the IRS agent. So about now when the IRS is at full force, they have about 80,000 um, employees within the entire agency. So that includes everything from the IT people to people answering the phones to um, auditors, agents, all sorts of things. Um, the reason uh, that they're looking to hire so many is partially because they're going to lose so many, about 50,000 of those 80,000. So more than half are slated to retire in the next five years. So when you look at kind of the IRS adding tens of thousands of employees, part of that is just to backfill all the jobs that are going to be uh, uh, left behind because people are retiring or moving on to other jobs. Boy, okay. It's not going to pass the Senate. Uh, The president says he would veto it. This really is uh, just for show, correct? Yes, right now. I think where we're going to hear this issue again is not, you know, that it's going to be legislation that's moving, is this is going to be a bargaining chip, um, as you guys were talking about before, mm-hmm. in um, showdowns over the debt ceiling, over um, government spending. This is going to be something that Republicans are going to bring to the table and say, look, this is something we want um, as part of this broader deal. Um, unlikely that they're going to get, you know, all they're basically calling for 70, almost 72 billion of the 80 billion to be rescinded. They're letting um, a little bit of that money that goes towards IT support and um towards customer service to to stay at the at the agency Uh, uh, but yeah but this is something that's going to be uh come up time and time again the irs has been sort of this low-key political battle for about the past decade and now it's about to become a a high-profile political battle you write about uh the the rhetoric uh in the campaign and leading up to this this very vote the so-called army of 87,000 new tax agents they were frequently described as armed And they may as well have already been knocking down doors because we talked about it like these are real people with real jobs already. Do we know where those talking points came from? Did that come from Kevin McCarthy's office or somewhere on the campaign trail during the midterms? This came from creatively pulling um, a bunch of different footnotes from a bunch of different Treasury reports. So that 87,000 number, that was a number that was slighted, um, you know, sort of misappropriated. uh, But it did come from uh, the genesis of it is from a a Treasury report. Um, And the armed bit, that is there are a very, very small number of IRS agents who deal with criminal issues, things like money laundering, terrorism, et cetera, that are armed. But your your, your run of the mill uh, IRS auditor is, you know, the most they have is probably an, a laptop that's a little bit too old. Wow. All right. So this is fascinating stuff, but it was a slam dunk politically, right? It was it was an applause line every time anyone said it. Yeah, it really salient, uh, had a lot of salience with people because, you know, who wants to be audited? Who wants to have to go through that? Um, you know, people are gearing up for tax season in just a couple of weeks and, and already dreading it. Um, you know, this is, is something that has a, a lot of resonance with people. Uh, but then on the flip side, what Democrats have pointed out is that, you know, that that audits aren't happening across the board. You look at all of the numbers of, of mm-hmm. IRS audits over the past decade, and all of them are just a ski slope downward. Boy, Laura, you cover the Ways and Means Committee uh, very closely, and you've got a new chair here, Representative Jason Smith 
uh, won a three-way contest for the Ways and Means gavel, one of the most important and powerful committees in the House. What does that chairmanship mean? How's it going to change? Yeah, so this was a really closely watched race and really tight between Jason Smith, um, who won, and Vern Buchanan, uh, who was kind of the, the, those two were seen as neck and neck. Um, and this really kind of shows the direction that Kevin McCarthy um, is going with, with uh, his leadership cohort there. Um, you know, Vern Buchanan was kind of your, your old school mainstream country club Republican focused on tax cuts, and he's a small business owner himself who's been really successful. Mm-hmm. Jason Smith is much more of a, of a political animal. He um, really cut his chops as the top Republican on the budget committee, really honed his messaging skills there, was very um, successful uh, when he was in the minority of asking for CBO and the Joint Committee on Taxation to kind of run some numbers and basically put out a report that was one of the reasons that Joe Manchin said, whoa, 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 I can't back, build back better. Uh, so this huh. is, uh, you know, he's going to be a, a real um, key ally for McCarthy just because he has real good political chops and also really close ties with the House Freedom Caucus. And as we saw last week, yeah. uh, you know, building uh, bridges there is important. And close ties to Donald Trump, which is not lost on us as well, right? Exactly. Yes, he's a, um, a, a, been a, a longtime Trump supporter, much more so than, than Vern Buchanan, who was always more kind of, again, kind of that more, you know, Jeb Bush style Republican. Well, this is fascinating. Uh, now that the rules are in place here, uh, they got the they made good on the promise on the IRS legislation. Uh, Laura, what's next? What whether it's a messaging bill or a real bill? What's the agenda look like the next few weeks? We're going to see a lot of oversight of the IRS. Um, you know, again, Republicans they don't have the Senate with them, but what they can do is they can um, haul in uh, the IRS commissioner. There's currently um, someone who's, who's just in an acting role right now. The Senate is gearing up to confirm someone. But in his uh, Jason Smith statement yesterday, uh, announcing that he had been selected, uh, he he said, you know, to, to Danny Werfel, who's Biden's nominee, you know, expect to spend a lot of time up here uh, testifying in front of the committee. They're very keen on looking into, um, you know, any targeting the IRS may have done of conservative nonprofit groups. Uh, remember back to a couple years ago, there was that ProPublica leak of some of the richest Americans. They want to yeah. get to the bottom of that. Right. Um, and they also, one of the things that we may see, you know, we uh, saw Donald Trump's tax returns at the end of last year. Now that Republicans are in control, they have that same power to go retwe- request tax returns of any taxpayer. So we could see that of, uh, you know, Biden or some of Biden's allies. You know, Biden has his returns publicly released, but other Democrats that they want to target, um, they could do that as well. Well, I'll tell you, how's this uh, new majority dealing with uh, with the media? Is it too early to tell or, or are you getting what you need? Uh, you know, still too early to tell. You know, some of these uh, new chairmen have only uh, been in the role for, for 24 hours or less. Uh, but, you know, we saw a lot of last week played out in public. Uh, you know, we had the C-SPAN cameras that were zooming in on these conversations happening on the floor. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of this played out in public. So, you know, so far it's it's been a really, uh, you know, interesting time and we've, we've had a lot of access. Boy, it sure has. I understand Matt Gates has legislation up to keep the cameras, uh, keep the cameras going because they're already back to the normal C-SPAN, you know, one way view. Laura, thank you uh, for being here. Great job, Laura Davis. And always a pleasure to speak and listen to Tom Emmer. We were talking about the chair of the Ways and Means Committee. There were a lot of questions about whether some of these were doled out in the deal making behind the scenes without anyone's knowledge throughout the caucus, other than, you know, these 20 people who were voting against Kevin McCarthy. Congressman Emmer was helping to run these talks. It was his office they were using as as kind of a central point of negotiations. He's part of the Republican leadership, was asked about it today. 
uh, he made it very clear that there were no uh, uh, gavels given out. There were no deals like that that were made. This is, uh, I, I think it's more than just aspirational. I think it literally is something that the entire conference is going to want to hold ourselves to and frankly hold our uh, partners on the other side of the building to. Uh, but I wouldn't call it an addendum because that was the confusion yesterday. We were voting on a rules package. He was talking about reports as well that they had an addendum separate to the rules package that included the chairs that was just for the insiders that nobody knew about. And we haven't really had very good answers to some of these questions yet. Uh, I don't know if Rick and Jeannie feel differently about this. Rick Davis, Tom Emmer says there was no addendum. There were some sideline agreements, and apparently that was shown on a screen today in a caucus meeting with Kevin McCarthy. But there is still quite a bit that we don't know about for a party that's striving uh for transparency no yeah i haven't i mean i've seen a lot of reporting around the quote secret addendum yeah, uh, yeah. which makes sense i mean of course they have all kinds of agreements that they don't you know circulate when they're cutting deals like this and and, and when congressman like tom cole who is in the know and, and is very savvy says yeah i've been reviewing this secret agreement all day <laughs> then yeah there's probably a secret agreement but it sounds like from the reporting that it's all the stuff we already know so oh, okay. uh, i guess that's the form it came in and uh if there's any pushback to it i haven't really heard uh, uh, you know, I think if you hadn't seen it, uh, you're a member of Congress who's out of the know and you've got to get, you know, you got to get a better access. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think it's going to substantially change anything. Uh, deals are done all the time for chairmanships. Deals are done all the time, you know, for specific pieces of legislation uh, and, and specific uh, benefits to a member's uh, district. Um, so so this is all sort of, I think, more uh, typical of how the House of Representatives runs itself. And uh, and I think we'll just see more and more of that sort of getting out because if, if it's written down, the one thing for sure in Washington is that it'll be published. Yes, right. And one thing that was uh, actually written down here and we've talked about a bit, Jeannie, is getting more members of the Freedom Caucus on the Rules Committee. I don't know if it's four or what final number they came to here, but how does that change the contours of the House and the types of bills we're gonna see? Well, we understand it was three, and you know, it, it does change to a certain extent because it essentially at three, so the Rules Committee is 13, nine of those are Republican. If three go for the Freedom Caucus, essentially those conservatives, some of them were never Trump, never, never Kevin McCarthy people until right. they were, yeah. they have a veto power in terms of deciding what gets done in the House, what gets to the floor. So they do have a good amount of power. I mean, it's not something we hear an awful lot about, you know, just sort of in regular uh, sort of news cycles because it's not all that interesting and it is kind of mundane, but it does give them an awful lot of power. And, you know, as we were talking about sort of this finding religion on this issue of spending, right. that can be a big, big challenge for the House Republicans politically if they are pushed in the direction of automatic cuts to things like discretionary spending. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis make our signature panel. They're with us for the hour as we keep an eye on Mexico City and wonder if the three amigos will emerge when they do of course they will they're going to do a, an important news conference they will bring to you live here on bloomberg radio it's the fastest hour in politics i'm joe matthew in washington this is bloomberg 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg Sound On brought to you by Innovation Refunds. That small business impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic may qualify for the employee retention credit. Let Innovation Refunds do the work. Find out now if your organization qualifies for ERC assistance. They've already helped businesses claim over $2 billion in payroll tax refunds. Learn more at GetRefunds.com. So the headline on the terminal, House GOP demands probe of Biden. Files after defending Trump. You heard about the files, the documents. Now Joe Biden's got his classified documents here, and you better believe that Republicans are not waiting around, even if his story is very different from that of Donald Trump. Congressman Mike Turner, a Republican from Ohio, leads the House Intelligence Committee has already written to the Director of National Intelligence requesting an immediate damage assessment. So they got 10 documents here. They found them in Joe Biden's old office that he used as vice president. Who's been in that office since then, by the way? This is at the Penn Biden Center in Washington, D.C. Classified documents, unknown what is in there. Reports say there's nothing nuclear, so... At least there's that. And Republicans say double standard. Here's Steve Scalise at a news briefing earlier. If then Vice President Biden took classified documents with him and held them for years and criticized President, former President Trump during that same time that he had those classified documents and only after it was uncovered did he turn them back. I wonder why the press isn't asking the same questions of him. So it's the press's fault, too. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene cranks up the heat from there, not just double standards. She says grounds for impeachment. Reporters caught up with her in the hallways of the House. Here she is. Uh, Vice presidents cannot declassify documents. And the fact that Joe Biden uh, is in possession of, of classified documents when he was vice president signals that we need to have a serious investigation into this. And there's a there's a true two-tiered justice system uh, stemming from Merrick Garland's uh, Department of Justice and the way that President Trump has been treated, who who is allowed to, to classify and declassify documents. Presidents can do that versus the Democrats and Joe Biden and how he's being treated. Um, I'll echo again, uh, impeach Biden. And that's what we need to do. Impeach Biden. It's on the Oversight Committee. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, our panel, certainly have thoughts. Jeannie, you think before you dig into this, we know when they heard about the case at Mar-a-Lago, before Joe Biden ever answered any questions on it, and he's been pretty careful not to, actually, with this particular story, but he ended up calling it, he was making fun of it, talked about how ridiculous this idea is. Wouldn't they check, maybe, check the office, make sure maybe we don't have any classified documents around here first? 
<laughs> you would hope and you would think what we understand happened was they were go- they, he sent lawyers in to clean out this office because it had personal information in it, including yeah. information on his son's funeral and cards and those things. Going through boxes, they find something, says VP personal, open it, and it looks to be classified. So these mistakes do happen. They happen pretty frequently and pretty regularly, unfortunately. You know, the lawyers alerted uh, the, the, the archives and, and so on it went. So they took the right steps. But the reality is, because of what happened with Donald Trump, this has gotten, you know, is really a political gift to Trump and the Republicans at this point. And Merrick Garland is now in a real bind, because if it hadn't been for Trump, you would imagine he may not have referred this to this, you know, Trump appointed U.S. attorney in Chicago. But because (laughs) of Trump, he had to do that. And now the question is, does he appoint a special counsel? So he's in a box and all of this goes back to Trump. The reality is the situation are very different, but politically, it's not going to matter much because this will be investigated ad nauseum in the Republican House at this point. Listen to the Democratic defense, Pete Aguilar, uh, the uh, the congressman who recently became House Democratic Caucus chair, speaking to reporters this morning. This is Republican hypocrisy at its finest. When the former president had 320 documents found at his personal residence, they said that, quote, that will not be a priority. What President Biden did was disclose this to the archives, let law enforcement know that is exactly the way that you should handle this. Republican hypocrisy. Rick Davis, is he wrong? You know, look, there aren't, from what I can tell from the reporting, moral equivalents here. But look, he did have classified documents in his possession. Yeah. The only way he probably could have gotten them is if he'd have walked out of the White House with them when he ended his uh, term as vice president. And that's a violation of the law. And, and so regardless of how they were found now, years later, uh, they've been sitting in an insec- unsecure location uh, in the possession of him and other people who aren't allowed to have them. Uh, and so I, I, I have no patience, both for Donald Trump or the vice president or the president, uh, if they aren't respecting the, the, the institutions of government that protect our secrets, our most important things that we have as a government. Look, it, when you turn 80, you get the excuse, right? You get to hide your own eggs at Easter and you can like find <laughs> things in your closet you're not responsible for. Come on, give it a break. <laughs> well, OK. Is it not worth, though, pointing out that, you know, Donald Trump resisted uh, for months uh, to return documents that were under subpoena. Is, is it not a pretty different case when it comes to the way these two responded? Yeah, that's my point about moral equivalency, right? Sure. There isn't a moral equivalency as to how these two individuals handled them, but they were both wrong, right? There's no like right or wrong here. They're both wrong. Now, you know, Donald Trump is also wrong for having hid them and lied to the investigators who were trying to find them and, and, and get them in the right location. Uh, and, and, and in this case, you know, from what we can tell from the early reporting, Joe Biden's surprised to have him. Where those things come from? Well, they've been sitting in your closet for years. Uh, so, I mean, they're both wrong. One is, one is more wrong on other issues like uh, not cooperating with the federal government to try and protect our secrets. Sure, yes. But, but we, we need to have a culture in the reporting 
uh, and in our society that we want to protect these secrets and that there should be no excuse for someone mishandling our nation's secrets. There are also hundreds in the case of Trump, 10 in the case of Joe Biden. Is it is it worth Democrats time in political capital to defend this, Jeannie? You know, whether it's worth it or not, they will do it. They we will. can already we're already seeing the litany of differences. You know, you can just go down and chart them off 160 plus for Trump, less than 10 for Biden. The reality <laughs> is also politically, this is a nightmare for Biden. He went on 60 minutes and he said, quote unquote, totally irresponsible. Yeah. How could that possibly happen? And then, oops, it happened to him. And of course, it was found out before the election and Republicans are raising heck about the fact. Why wasn't this? mentioned when it was first found out. So it almost doesn't matter. Democrats will certainly try to parse this. The reality is it's wrong, as Rick mentioned, in either case. And what we're hearing now is this included background briefing memos, which covered Iran, UK, and oops, Ukraine. There's Hunter Biden all over this. And that is a big, big problem for the Biden administration, but particularly for poor Merrick Garland. The man tries to stay above the political fray and he just can't keep out of it. Well, I guess that's guess that's true. I'll tell you what, there's an oversight committee that is prepared to have a hearing on this. What a year this is going to be. By the way, we do have eyes not on Joe Biden, but on the staging that is waiting for him and the leaders of Canada and Mexico. Secretary Blinken has walked in. You'd think this will start soon. It's over an hour late. The Three Amigos and the Trilateral News Conference will air it when it begins. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington with our panel. Some final thoughts from Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano with news on George Santos at last. What a bizarre start to a congressional career. I mean, I'm not even talking about the resume stuff. Just sitting there alone in the House chamber. Then finally, Lauren Boebert sidles up to you. You meet Matt Gates. Then they swear you in. And as George Santos is now officially a member of Congress, he also officially faces a congressional ethics complaint. It was filed today. Uh, two Democrats from New York. Yes, there are two left. Uh, Congressman Dan Goldman uh, among them. Richie Torres, the other. Uh, Goldman talked about the outrage here. But Steve Scalise was asked about it uh, as well. And we'll have some of their comments ahead. What I want to do is hear from George Santos himself. Reporters have been running down the hall after him every day since he has been there. He finally promised. Well, he didn't talk today, but he promised to talk soon. Here's George Santos. Look, I've already said I will be addressing the media in, in short time. So uh, I would appreciate you guys give that time and we'll we'll be talking to all of you guys soon. They're going to keep doing. They'll be hounding him every day in the halls until he finally does speak. Steve Scalise, uh, of course, the Republican uh Majority leader here talking about uh, the party's response to this because it's been pretty quiet so far. Well, you saw him seated last week. There were no challenges to that. This is something that's being handled internally. Obviously, there were concerns about uh, what we had heard. And so we're going to have to sit down and talk to him about it. And that's something that we're going to deal with, uh, just like there's a lot of other things we're going to deal with. Sit down and talk to him about it. Something tells me that he's going to be there for a minute. Of course, we know that the Ethics Committee uh, is going through its own issues right now. Rick Davis, how does the Republican Party deal with this in the House? Democrats have been clear. This is Kevin McCarthy's problem. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine right now McCarthy doing anything in the short run to um, either punish or issue a investigation by the Ethics Committee uh, on Santos. Uh, 
It's an embarrassment. There's no question. No Republican member walking around the floor today wants to answer questions about this uh, no, fellow. They're not. And 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 so I think they're just trying to figure it out. It it is highly unlikely that they're going to do anything about the status of that seat. That seat's important to the to the caucus. He's duly elected. Um, the people of the district should be very disappointed and if not downright angry that he yeah. uh, pulled the wool over their eyes. But the reality is he did get sworn in, as you mentioned, and he's going to sit there until there's otherwise, you know, some action by the Congress or law enforcement to do anything about it. But he's not. I mean, they can't fire him. Right. Even if Kevin McCarthy said, I got your vote, you're fired. It doesn't work like that. They can censure him. They could probably kick him out of the caucus. Right. But he wouldn't he have to be recalled by the state of New York? Yeah, he can't just be thrown out of the House. I'm sure there's um, uh, some provisions. I honestly don't know uh, that uh, under certain circumstances, felonies and things like that. But there are there are members that uh, have committed felonies or are walking around the floor right now. So uh, I, I think that... Uh, <laughs> I think that you, you need to understand the House of Representatives is a place that uh, uh, these are the kinds of people sometimes who show up there. And it's salty. It's not, it's not good. But it is a cross-representation of America at its best. What a great line from Rick Davis, Jeannie. Sometimes these are the kind of people who show up there. Uh, how long is he going to hang around? You know, two years at the most. And let me just say, outrage is what the people on Long Island who are part of his district are feeling. And Republicans, by the way, more than Democrats is what we're hearing. They are absolutely outraged that the wool was pulled over their eyes like this. And Kevin McCarthy has got to be frustrated quietly because we're hearing today that one of the campaign staffers for George Santos was paid nearly $100,000 to pretend to be McCarthy's chief of staff and raise money from donors big money. And this is what is going on here. So, you know, they do have the option of doing things like suspension and expulsion, but they're not going to do that for the reasons Rick talked about. Something tells me he's going to be staying around Washington. Forget going home. Uh, Stay with us here on Bloomberg Radio. When this news conference begins, by God, we'll have it for you live from Mexico City. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, a great pleasure as always. Our signature panel here on the fastest hour in politics. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. We'll hash out what they said. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.